Hello everyone, hope you had a good Christmas and it wasn't ruined by the news. Marcel Kutsi is leaving us absolutely gutted, um, but he put in an unbelievable shift whenever he was fit and put his body on the line. And so hopefully you join me in wishing him well as he moves on. Now, he's still got a bit of work to do and he's here for the next number of months, but I have to say I was gutted uh, to hear that news. Fantastic back row and I'm speaking to another fantastic back row today, uh, which I'll talk more about in a moment. So I just wanted to tell you something quickly about Ulster Rugby Lad. If you ever listen to the podcasts and that's all you listen to, then you're missing out on a whole load of quality content, which can be found on the Ulster Rugby Lad website, which is ulsterrugbylad.co.uk. I do loads of interviews with current and former Ulster players in written format, which are really interesting. Uh, Some good names on there and it is worth checking out. Now, it's just me who does the website and it's all about quality content, no clickbait. It's completely independent so I can say whatever I want. Obviously, uh, everything I say is pretty much uh, supportive or or balanced, but um, the whole point of it is that it's uh, somewhere you can go and it's an independent news source with none of this nonsense clickbait that you get in other places. So there are a number of local businesses who advertise on the website. A full list of uh, businesses is on the website and it's included on every article. Any profits from the advertisements go to a local charity who help vulnerable people with mental health problems. And um, so that's where the money goes towards. And uh, yeah, it's a very, very worthy cause. And it's tough time for those businesses as well. So uh, support the businesses that support Ulster Rugby Lad and support uh, clickbait-free journalism and uh, everyone wins. Anyway, the guest today is Chris Henry. Chris tells a story of developing a passion for rugby from a young age, joining Ulster, reaching the peak of his career, playing in one of the greatest Ireland teams and one of the greatest Ulster teams of the professional era, suffering a stroke which could have ended his career, now the process of transitioning out of the game and what his relationship with Ulster Rugby is like now. I really enjoyed speaking to Chris, he was an unbelievably good player, an old school back row who put his body on the line for his team, also a great lad with some really interesting insights. It was a pleasure to speak to him and I hope you enjoy listening. Hi Chris. Hello. Hi, how are you? Getting the video going here. Okay. Well, how are you getting along? Hi, good. Thanks. Yeah, good to see you. And thanks for joining me. How are you getting on yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm actually, um, we've got a 12 week old in the next door. How's life with the two, two kids now? <sighs> Peter, Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely bonk- bonkers, to be honest. Um, like, I'm amazing, but just yeah. so tiring. Um, our oldest is two next month. And then we've got this wee, that's why she's a baby girl, Willa, and then a wee boy who's 12 weeks. So, must be knackered, are you? Um, it's, do you know what? It's not too bad. I think the few challenges here is one, our first, um, got to sleep overnight pretty quickly. So I think we're, yeah. you know, we're expecting an awful lot from this wee man. He's doing good, but he's still, yeah. there's still a four o'clock feed. And then, um, also because of COVID, like grandparents aren't just as helpful. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So oh, yeah, no, so no, it's all go. It's all go. Oh, anyway, nice. I, no complaints. Like it's there. It's amazing. That's I feel very yeah. oh, congratulations. That's that's so good because it was it was around the time I first got in touch with you. I think you're expecting your your baby like a couple of weeks uh, away or something like that, and then that's um, right. Yeah, and then you got. Did you get a bit of time away? Then you're saying you're going away for a bit of a break. 
um, were you Donegal or something like that? that was a few yeah, that was before. So just before lockdown, we were in Donegal, and I we thought this will be brilliant. Okay, or sorry, not brilliant. But co- you know, if there's a lockdown, at least we're in Donegal. We've a caravan up there right on the beach, oh, nice. and yeah. I was going, you know what? At least we're up here. Like we'll spend a week in Belfast, a week in Donegal, and then it was, you know, everyone has to go home. You can't travel. Oh, and yeah. every, everyone in Donegal was like, you get the Nordies out, you know, bring <laughs> COVID up here. Um, so no, we haven't been up there since. Um, so yeah, so it's been. Joe, you know, I keep saying, my wife, if there was ever a time for us selfishly for this to happen, like we wouldn't be doing anything anyway. Yeah, yeah. Baby. So yeah, like we're we're surviving and a lot more fortunate than, than other people. So yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, it's tough times for everyone, and uh, I'm really grateful that uh, you've taken the time to come on to the podcast. Now, I have a few questions to start with. A few of the questions um, that people have sent in. Um, Probably uh, most interesting ones. Let me see. What? Uh, who's the best player you've played with or against? I don't have who sent that in, but that's a good question. Who's the best player with against? Um, yes, yeah, so you get asked that question obviously a lot. I still will probably um, always go back to Paul O'Connell, um, with played against and with. Um, just I think I bias comes because I've seen him in training as well, and the guy was just relentless. He was like the first person who actually. Um, stunned me at how professional rugby was changing and how he was so far ahead of the game um, and so consistently good um, at what he did. You when it was the person on the team that you knew that if you were, and especially forward, if you knew he was in front of you in the second row, you know, you had a chance against anyone. So you know, you got your ex, your uh, X Factor players, your Brian Driscolls and things who were amazing as well, and Rory Best. But I, I always just thought Connell as a leader, as just the way. Um, yeah, well, the way he brought people with him as well. I just thought I'd really love to be able to play with him. Yeah, he's an unbelievable player. Um, and uh, a few people have asked have actually given that answer. Um, uh, the next question that was sent in, who are your best friends? Who are the guys you keep? Um, so we have, life Life obviously gets busy and uh, because there's been a pandemic, you see each other even less. There's maybe once or twice a year where um, the old usual suspects do try catch up for a beer, but obviously that hasn't happened um, since last Christmas. Yeah. We have a WhatsApp group, um, which is called Jim, where myself, Tommy Bow, Andrew Trimble and Paul Marshall are in it. And it was set up, obviously, Jim, to see if we wanted to go to the gym or do any sort of training. And since it's been set up, we haven't been to the gym months. Um, yeah. It's just an excuse to keep in touch. And we used it for the first two weeks. All it did was we would send in all the bad food we were eating. So bowls of cereal, and chocolate bars we were eating at 10 o'clock at night. So I would still um, catch up with them. Uh, you know, keep in touch on WhatsApp. You know, every couple of days or whatever, just for a bit of crack. Um, Tommy Bo has a has a daughter who's similar age to my daughter, so we would sometimes arrange to go to the park. Um, but no, like I actually went for a run with Dan Tui this morning. He's back and forth from France at the moment. He's co- forwards coach for Van, so I would try catch up with him. Um, so no, like it's busy. You know, time goes on, and people, you know, your your lucky guys are working. I know when you retire from rugby, obviously, so time is shorter. Family priority gets more, but yeah, those guys, as I said, the three I mentioned would be the ones to probably speak to the most. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy it. Like that's the thing. You, you might not see someone for you know. 
12, 18 months and because you played with him for such a long time, you fall back into that. Like, you know, Declan Fitzpatrick's a great example. I, he's in Australia at the moment working. Um, his wife's doctor was in Australia, but like, he'll be back, I think it's in January, February. And, you know, I'm looking forward to catching up with him and it'll just be like old times. And that's, I think yeah. most rugby players will say the same, even though you do miss the day-to-day seeing the guys. But, you know, we've been around such a long time that um, you do get the chance to see them. Yeah, it's still just back to your playing and training and pretty seamless. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I, I know it's like, I think teammates especially um, seem, seem to, guys who have played in the same team years seem to have that sort of bond connection. You, you're probably seeing each other every day and a lot of the 99 squad that I've spoken to, so the likes of John Cummins, Mark Blair and all those guys, they always say like whenever they meet up again, it's as if they've never been away. So it's cool It's cool to hear like those, yeah. those, those friendships and bonds continue. Next question um Slightly more sort of uh, thought-provoking one, maybe. What book has had the biggest influence in your life? Is there a book in particular that, that, that has had a big influence uh, on your life? One book. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> one book's hard to pinpoint. I mean, I would have. Yeah. I've read, you know, um, you know, a lot of autobiographies of Don Carter's book, Martin Johnson's book. All that, like when I was playing, I would have tried to read, you know, sports stars yeah. um, autobiographies, but I can't think of like any one book um, offhand that I would go. You have really um, changed anything about. It. I mean, the All Blacks book, um, all, all those sorts of leadership books. I guess I would have tried to have read whatever I was, I was playing as well. But no, I mean, I wouldn't. I'm I'm uh, terrible for reading at nighttime, and then I'd usually wake up at two o'clock in the morning with a cup of tea, and I've only read um, three or four pages. So, so now I'm afraid, like um, book wise. I'm afraid that's a disappointing answer for you. I'm sure you no. want nothing more. But, no, um, not at all. To be honest, I'm finding myself um, reading um, because of my career. I'm now into medical sales. It's my, my career post-rugby. So I'm still trying to learn an awful lot of that. So any books I'm reading at the moment is about the human anatomy and surgery yeah. and theatres and, and oh, wow. um, yeah, stuff that's miles over my head, but I'm trying to learn quickly. So yeah, I, I'm not really reading for pleasure at the moment. I'm reading for necessity. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, I'd be the same as you, though, reading sort of autobiographies would be the main thing I read, rugby players, footballers, and uh, stuff like that. So, no, I've read a number of the, the uh, uh, sort of rugby, big uh, rugby autobiographies, some of the Ireland players, working all very best, and much is good. So, yeah. uh, it's good to uh, uh, Stephen Ferris's book as well, because there's not that many Ulster players have, have released books. So, it, it's it's always interesting to, to hear what things were like when they joined Ulster and their, their perspective and things. So, Absolutely, yeah. Um, but that's cool. You touched on what you're doing there at the minute. Um, that's so, someone, someone else has actually asked, you know, what, what, what is it that you're doing at the minute? What's your, what's your job? Yeah, so I, I'm working for a medical advice company called Applied Medical. So um, I've been in that since last September and I kind of fell into my accident and didn't really know what I wanted to do after rugby at all, like most rugby players don't. Um, and this opportunity came up, so applied for it. Um, and got through the process. I was. It's a company based in um, Amersfoort in the Netherlands. It's a global company, but the European base is in the Netherlands. So I was there for uh, six weeks on a training course, and basically we specialise in laparoscopic surgical equipment. And yeah. um, so my it involves being in theatre with consultants and theatre staff. Yeah, we sell all range of um, fancy um, equipment, which is used for surgeries, which I obviously won't go into because it's, um, you know, I don't want to bore your, your, your <laughs> listeners, but it's been really exciting. You know, I, is it, 
is it the same as going out on a Friday or Saturday? The National Rugby will know, but I get to be a theatre and I'm watching you know, some really, really incredible, intelligent people um, saving lives and making a difference to people. And I'm playing yeah. a small part by offering, you know, hopefully enhancing a wee bit of product people are using to make their surgeries a wee bit better, a wee bit safer, improving patient outcomes a bit. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, as I say, I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot to learn. Um, I've watched... A lot of hysterectomies, and I've been in a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of decent bit of surgery, but I've got a long, long way to go. And I haven't, the biggest thing is always in this field is whether you can um, survive without fainting. Um, yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't, I haven't fainted yet. I've had, <laughs> I, I, you know, I talked to the surgeon, I've always, I've had probably, I mean, I think I've had about six or seven surgeries with knees, shoulder, elbow, um, but I've never, you know, obviously you're knocked out. So for me to see my first surgery on the other end, it was yeah. really incredible what the people, what the hospital staff are doing and obviously how they're trying to manage now. Um, yeah. It's been uh, just a different world. You know, I sit here, yeah. you know, I've been out of the game two years this year and to see, you know, to be able to see what I've seen the last 12 months has been pretty special. I feel very lucky. Yeah. That I've got something that, you know, you've got to have something that gets excited for, you get excited for when you wake up in the morning and this certainly does. Uh, yeah, I feel very lucky to be doing, doing this. Yeah. That's cool. Um, it sounds like an interesting show. I'm not sure I could survive that without fainting personally, but uh, for <laughs> the, the first, the first, um, very first surgery I was in, I was standing, you were standing about two or three meters back from a patient, and um, a, very rarely is there blood spatter, but a, bl- a spatter of blood went right across my feet, and I just was like, "What am I doing in here? This is crazy." Um, <laughs> yeah, like that hasn't happened very often. Uh, yeah, flip. So. I know it's it's one of those things where you think it's so intricate. And- um, do you even like stuff like knee replacements and ankle and stuff and then you watch and it's very heavy duty stuff isn't it like people do you just have to at the end of the day it's all boom and stuff and you have to hack well, luckily <laughs> most of our surgeries isn't our surgeries involving with knees and hips and, and, and right, okay. the orthopedic stuff it's all you know, colorectal surgeons general surgeons you've gallbladders hernias um, things like that so um, yeah, yeah like I'm, I'm learning as I go and, and uh, it is it's, it's really cool you know it is yeah. and, and it gives you just to see, even you know to see how they've had to adapt so much in the last six months and even probably more so even the last six weeks and eight weeks it's really it's really picked up obviously at the hospital so for me to to see this sort of a bit closer and experience yeah. a different way um, yeah no all I have is massive admiration for the hospital staff and, and yeah. all of Northern Ireland at the moment doing what they're doing Absolutely, big respect to NHS for for doing and doing a great job in, in sort of really tough circumstances. And yeah. so, um, I, I want to move now to talk a bit about rugby, and uh, it's good timing actually because um, you know we're both saying at the start there, it's great to have rugby back, and even though you don't get to attend in person, or most of us don't, and I'm sure if you, you ask, you sure that let, you know the club legends like yourself in, but no, uh, <laughs> no I definitely don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's 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 great watching the guys back back on the pitch and doing well. So, I want to talk with you last night and do great, great having mon- uh, rugby on a Monday night as well. Something to look forward to in another way. Sort of Mondays are always a tricky, so having that in the evening is nice to look forward to. But what, what were your t- sort of key takeaways from the game last night, even the past few weeks? What have you made of Ulster and who, who's standing out for you at the moment? Um, yeah, well, as you mentioned, like I've been loving watching Ulster again. Um, the standout things for me is the team. I think they've been, out of all the other teams that they've played so far, they've obviously been. They're obviously managing 
during a pandemic a lot, lot better than other teams, I think. And they're playing, like they're so, they, they all know exactly how they want to play. The team is, like, their defense has been, you know, pretty rock solid attacking wise. You can see the shape they're playing. They've got license to play. There's so much young, um, stars up and coming and yet they have, they have I don't think like a lot of them don't even realise how good they are yet and that's exciting yeah um, you know there's no like I feel like it's quite a humble group you know obviously I don't, there's guys now on that team I've never met I've never met Big Sam Carter I've never met Matt Faddies but you know I still know obviously a large core of that team and it feels like definitely without a doubt there was a transition at Ulster whenever a lot of us left and they're only I think they're just the momentum's just starting to slowly build so I, I'm really excited about what this team can do it's just a shame that obviously we fans can't get into you know to, add, to jump on top of that a bit more but obviously yeah. we still I, you know I still feel connected to it and hopefully when more news comes in the following months people will get back in but for me guys like you know it's obviously lovely to see Mike Lowry James Hume Stuart Moore I mean these guys are just bucket loads of talent and then they're learning off the likes of Stuart McCluskey Luke Marshall back last night so they're really like I just to see um you know more and more homegrown Ulster talent like I do think that that is hopefully the future that they have to keep investing in the homegrown local lads yes of course you need your your guys that yes won't make it at other provinces of course they're welcome to come and add value and that's the thing they have to add value and I do think that that's what's happened here you know your Jack McGrath your Marty Moore okay are they playing their peak rugby well you know, they're not far off, but they're getting there. And, and the more, most importantly, they're lear- learning off them. Like Eric O'Sullivan, 50 caps last night. Where's that come yeah. from? And it's amazing than that. Um, so I just think they're having, just building a really nice team of guys that there's no rock stars. They're just getting on their job. They're obviously enjoying, loving playing rugby whenever so many other people have been affected in the last 12 months. They've been able to kind of get on with their job. Um, Sean Reedy, for me, like, has just been outstanding. You know, yeah. he is, you know, he's always had talent, but like for me, I'm going, this guy is hitting his peak. He's a right age. And for a bit, I'm obviously going to be a bit biased watching the back rowers, but um, he, he's just been so consistent. And, um, yeah. Like, you know, his ability to get on the ball, the rules are played in his favour, but he, like, you know, both ends, both a defensive attack. I just, he's one of these guys, an energizer. You know, I can see him yeah. energizing the team around him. Um, so I've been really, really impressed with him. The Ray brothers, like yeah. you know, they still can so much more from them, but I really love seeing you know homegrown back rowers, second rowers playing. Yeah, um, and yeah, I just think that overall is a great that they're all at, there's just positivity around Ulster at the moment. And as I said, it's yeah. a shame that we can't be there at the moment to, to get behind them. But oh, you know, I'm sure the players know that everyone's at home as much as possible watching them. And so that's yeah. that's kind of the, the mall, you know, the, the the bread and butter of Ulster, which maybe in the past we've struggled. Scrum mall, they're looking. You know, pretty damn solid, and that yeah, comes from, yeah. obviously injury profile is good. The age profile, this team is good, and then you've got Klein that you know, no matter who they're playing, who they put in there at the moment, you know, they're they're playing. They, they obviously the coaches are obviously getting the right messages to their team, and they're training at high intensity, which means when they get the games, they're they're able to deliver. So yeah, just delighted to see how it's moving forward. Absolutely, yeah. Some of the names you mentioned there have sort of been revelations for us. Marty Moore in particular, do you know, I think front rowers often fly under the radar in terms of like getting recognition for what they're doing. But having a having a guy like Marty Moore who's just so solid in the scrum, um, and even the depth, I think it's sort of unprecedented, the depth that we have now in terms of we bring it off. Typically, you'd have um, tools out injured. And you have the likes of Tommy Toe, who's a future Ireland player, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, coming on for someone established like that, and it's it's great to see. As you say, like I think the the atmosphere around Ulster has changed, and there's that transitional period, the sort of dark days 
couple of years ago. Um, but um, all the guys, uh, again, even just basic stuff like any guys I've spoken to, they're just really nice guys. And I think that makes a difference. There's a, there's a great atmosphere in the squad. There's, there's no sort of, um, uh, everyone's likable. And I think that actually makes a big difference. Uh, and um, not, not saying people are unlikable today, but I just think this, this, this squad of guys used the word humble at the start. There's that, there's that mentality, that fight for every inch mentality Dan McFarland's brought in and has, has served them really well. And just to talk a wee bit more about um, those three young guys coming through, like, is there any one in particular you'd earmark for maybe going to play at the highest level? You mentioned the likes of Mike Lawyer, James Hughes, Stuart Murphy. Is, is, is there anyone who stands out as, as he could be the next big thing? And I know Lawyer, Lawyer's small, but... He played very well last night, and uh, do you think the likes of Michael Lowry or, or anyone else? Do you, do you think they can um, kick on to the next level? Yeah, I do. Look, every preseason as well with these young kids, they're going to get stronger by just by just getting man strength as well. <clears throat> so every preseason, every year, they're going to get better and better, stronger and stronger. Mike Lowry, yes, is small, but obviously like ridiculously brave. I, I've really enjoyed seeing him a ten when he gets his chances too. Yeah. Obviously, Madigan and Billy are outstanding, but you know, moving, you're thinking if you're Ulster, you're thinking right, well, where are we going to be in four years' time, five years' time? Like, there's a guy, Mike Lowry. Hopefully, he's going to play the rest of his career here with us. <clears throat> so for me to get him as a, in there a ten for bits is brilliant. Um, James Shune be, probably being the best back for Ulster since the break um, yeah. has been outstanding just physical athlete but for me um, Stuart Moore now I'm probably biased because I was with him with Malone last year coaching so yeah. I saw him a lot with us he got released a lot for us but I, and I to be honest I couldn't believe he was getting released so much like he is bucket loads of talent um, yeah. he okay the more he plays that he'll tighten up defensively because there you know obviously there's been a few defensive raids he's made that hasn't you know, against the big, big European teams, you'll have to tighten it up. But the only way to get there is to keep playing with yeah. with, with the combinations either side of you. He will get better and better. If it was a, if it was his attack we were discussing, you'd be kind of going a bit worried. But it, his footwork, his kicking ability, you know, yeah. unbelievable. Like to have that option in twelve to to see to be able to put the chips in. Um, and he's going to be learning off Stuart McCluskey and yeah. Marshall, who ultimately you know you're talking guys who still aren't even over their peak, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that he. Where could he get to? And I look yeah. at Stuart Moore and I go, you know, he's a he's a young Paddy Wallace. He's got the footwork mm-hmm. of Paddy Wallace and the skill set of Paddy Wallace. So yeah. I think he is definitely someone to keep an eye on an Ulster perspective. Yeah. Um, and he's only got you know, stronger and bigger and more powerful. Like the games change, so these guys will get there quicker. And when that happens, like you know, you keep him injury free, he could be really, really good. So he, for me, um, in the back line anyway, is the one to watch forwards wise. I mean. I think Dan, I don't even know how many players Dan McFarland has played this year, but I mean, um, Dave McCann. Yeah. You know, his cameo that he's played, like, I cannot wait to see when they're going to unleash him again. Yeah. Um, and then behind him, you've got like, like there is, there are names that people are still talking about. Like, Israel Allison played him on last year for me. Like, I know he's yeah. got a bucket loads of talent. So there is there. It's just when do you, you know, these guys know if they play, if they don't play really, really well, then. It could be a wee while to get their next chance, especially when there's no Ulster Regiums. So yeah, that could be yeah. the challenge the next 12 months for a lot of those younger guys on the fringe. But it's definitely, you know, compared to where we were, and considering where there's the table now, um, yeah, really, like, I mean, I'd be really surprised if they just keep pushing on. And of course, there's going to be a task 
getting playoffs always going to be tough. But to beat any Glasgow team, okay, Glasgow missing an awful lot. We were weren't affected with Irish stuff as much as the other provinces. Mm-hmm. But to put forty points on any Glasgow team, also, yeah. and their confidence True. will be riding high. So they keep it. Going. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's I think Stuart Moore again. He's um, uh, the, there's chat. You know how how will people fit in the, the team? But I think you in modern rugby you need a, a squad of players and. Even people talk about sort of the finishers, or uh, I, th- I think that's what people call them now, anyway, yeah. in certain circles. But people coming onto the pitch can be equally as important. So, and you know, you can expect about a third of a squad to be injured at any given time. You know, with the uh, how intense and physical modern, modern rugby is. So, having guys like Stuart Moore and Stuart McCloskey being able to um, to swap in and out for each other, there's no issue there. Like, uh, and, and having that depth is, is something we haven't had, I, I, as far as I can remember. So, um, no, exciting times for Ulster. You know, all these guys come, coming through with guys that are injured as well. Robert Balakun as well, player and big, big uh, absolute athletes, yeah. yeah, ridiculous, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it'll be great to have him back. We like Will Addison as well. You start to look at that. He could, in a couple of years, speak in very top levels in Europe again. Um, so uh, exciting times and and. Um, I want to, I want to um, I suppose reflect a wee bit in your career and um, you've now had a bit of time, I suppose, to, to look back and, and reflect uh, and being out of the game coaching and things like that. Is it is it surreal, surreal looking back and what you've achieved? And um, I mean, is that something you do often? Are you just too busy now to sort of pause and reflect and go, did you know, look at all I achieved in the game? Yeah, I mean, there's times where I'm walking around um, a park with my double buggy with two kids, my headphones in going, two years ago, these two kids weren't here and I was playing rugby and I didn't have this other job and life is just, life's moved fast, you know. Um, So if you ask me, have a reflectable, yeah, I did. Whenever I um, decided to, so, you know, I'm a bit unusual that I stopped playing during the season. So I walked away in November. Um, So those next the rest of that year, for the next six to nine months, I did have time to reflect then, you know, a wee bit more. And, um, yeah, like I, you know, whenever I got, whenever I was 23, I was going to give up the game. You know, I really wasn't, I, nothing was happening with Ulster and I was thinking, right, I need to move on and I'm actually going to do because I finished, yeah. you know, finished my degree. It was time to like go do my life. And then it all happened very quickly, you know, within 18 months. Um, when my first Ulster cap, I'd played my Irish cap. So, no, I, I do, I, like I never thought I was going to get there. And, but then when you do get something, you know, your goals change and you move forward. And, and I do, I go look back and go, I'm so fortunate to have the career. You know, you talk about regrets. Well, I mean, what, I, I got to win a trophy with Ireland, which was by far the best day and a green shirt in the Six Nations 2014. My one, my regret is that I wish, I'd, I really wish with the team that we had at certain stages with Ulster, I do think we, we deserve to win, you know, a league. Um, well, we did win the league, but the, the playoff game we lost, um, you know, we didn't win a trophy. And you think of some of the players that we had that throughout the years with guys like John Foa, Ruan Pinar, you know, Johan Miller, you know, there's times in, the, in our career where we had such good solid team that we probably deserved to win a trophy and we didn't get across the line. But, you know, it doesn't take away the, the you know, we still had unbelievable runs, we still had great memories, and that's what I hold on to. Do I have a, a winner's medal for Ulster? Well, no, but, you know, as I mentioned, I, I probably feel it's probably blunt, taking the blunt off me a bit that I was I was involved with Ireland with a, with a huge win. Yeah. Um, so, no, just a feel very lucky to, to have had yeah. a career and um, been out, out now two years and still have such happy memories from it. Yeah, that's so good to hear, you know, because um, it was some career and I want to go back a wee bit in a moment to talk about, you know, how, how, how you got to that squad, what was that journey like to get there, but um, looking back on that career, it's, it's, it's 
had its uh, sort of ups and downs with health issues as well. And uh, I'll ask you about that one as well. But you know, fantastic to hear regrets and um, that you do get the chance to sort of pause and reflect. And look, that was that was that was an awesome journey. Um, and, and I suppose sort of working backwards, sort of chronologically. I want to talk a wee bit about the decision to retire. You mentioned there that you retired. It seemed to happen. Uh, you must have obviously considered it for a long time, but it sort of happened during the season. And um, your, your identity, I suppose, as a, as a rugby player, has always been sort of Chris Henry, Ulster and Ireland flanker. And how hard was it to leave that identity behind and, and sort of start a new chapter in your life? Yeah, I mean, definitely, it definitely took a toll at, at stages. You know, there's, there's days where you wake up and you go, oh, 100% the right decision. And then there's days where you wake up and go, your body's feeling okay and you're going, geez, you know what, I could probably give this another rattle and get the weights out and, and, and have a comeback. But no, the, the last, Andrew Trimble and Robbie Diak left their contract early the, fall, the year before. And to be honest, them doing that made me really think and going, actually, am I happy getting up every day and going in here? And there wasn't, the, most of my career once I started, I was usually, because I, because I was a special seven as well, I would either start I was very rarely on the bench, so I was either starting or I wasn't involved. If it, there were times of career where um, I knew when I was playing well, knew when I was playing poorly, but you know, generally I was generally I knew that walking in the Monday morning Ulster, I knew kind of with with the with the squad that we had. You know, Willie Faluna moved on, David Pollock retired. You know, you're thinking about night sevens for a while. You know, Ulster. I was kind of lucky that there wasn't any real competition at seven for a good few years, um, because they knew you can they could shift and move other players, and that's the decision that Ulster made in, in their um, in their uh, recruitment process and in the squad. So for me to go from a leadership group to go from kind of knowing when I was starting the last eighteen months. Um, you know, seeing two of my good friends, Robbie Diak and Tremble walk away, you know, I was going into training where I was sore constantly. So you're waking up in the morning and you're in pain. You go into training, you're trying to compete with all these young pups who are knocking the pan out of each other on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And then you'd be, you know, the, the way the coaches are, the way the rugby has changed now, they demand so much during the week. So I knew, you know, if I wasn't out, I would usually been, you know, um, spent time, gone out early to get warm because the body would take a longer to get warm. But I wasn't, I wasn't one who would stand out for an extra 12 minutes doing jackaline practice, doing tackling practice, but all these other young guys were. So yeah. I, you know, the coaches then were going the weekend going, Chris, like, you know, you aren't, we, we aren't seeing enough from you. You haven't had the chance. And also you're not doing your extras and training. And I'm going, well, I know because my body can't cope with it. Yeah. So I kind of knew myself, you know, my peak was 30, 31, 32. And then it, you know, it, it, the way I played, you know, I wasn't a, a power athlete. I was, it was constant. You know, mine was, um, you know, you knew how I was going to play minute one to minute 79 usually. And I just couldn't, I knew myself that I wasn't able to do what I was doing. And then the biggest thing that probably hit me was whenever the leadership group, changed so the older heads at Ulster it happened I can't even remember what day but that day where you could see that they were reliant on you younger players to lead the team and, and there was that you know every start of every week you would have your leadership meeting with Rory and, and you know, and the senior players say there would have been six of us well all of a sudden that changed and the older heads who would have been there for such a long time we weren't invited to that meeting so to be honest that probably was my realisation to go well hold on if I'm not actually able to play on a Friday night influence and I'm not even influenced how we're training you know the game plan how the scope of the week looked um, the, you know where we target targets how where we want to be how we want to run an off season those questions I wasn't having any input on to be honest that I, I found that difficult 
So that's yeah, where yeah. I, uh, you know, I did, I took this, I started the season, I did pre-season, I really wanted to give it one last go, but I didn't want to have any regrets. And by the time yeah. I got to November, um, I played a game for Malone Rugby Club because I, I wasn't getting rugby. Yeah. And then I play, I said, look, I want to play from alone. They said, okay, go get some game time and finish the game. I had a really solid game, really enjoyed it. Uh, next morning, couldn't lift my shoulder. Yeah. And the surgeon, the surgeon, I got a scan and the, the consultant said, look, you, this could heal by itself in six months or you need surgery. My wife was due the following month with our first mm-hmm. child. So in other words, if I got surgery, I wouldn't be able to hold my baby. You wouldn't be able to drive my wife to hospital. So that was the realization to go, you know what, this is for me to slog it out for another year or maybe, you know, maybe try to go away. It just wasn't yeah. going to be worth it. I, I do think it would have left a sour taste in my mouth. And I think because I had more control over walking away, I think it's probably been better for me than maybe if it was taken out of my hands, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I know, it, it, like, having been there for so long, it must have been a, a tough decision. And um, there's always that, I'm sure there's always that feeling, well, maybe I could sort of have a, uh, have a bit of a comeback here but you know you made the decision to, to move on and it sounds like you know ultimately it was a good one for the sake of your long-term health and being able to do the normal things to as a dad and to do but um you, you mentioned there about sort of what type of player you are and um, I'm not just saying this like uh, I've been watching Ulster for for years since I was about five uh, you're one of my favorite players to watch um, and, and it was sort of the way you played the game and um, interested to hear how you would describe your approach to the game and uh, do you know, as a specialist open sides um, what that requires what you interpret that as and um, what you went out to achieve what were your aims whenever you went out to, to play for Ireland and Ulster yeah, so for me, um, my goal was, uh, you know, you think of the number eight that I had, for example, around me, so you had Nick Williams, you had Roger Wilson, you had Pedro Wannenberg, you had Jamie Heaslip in Ireland. So for me, it wasn't yeah. about carrying the ball. <laughs> I didn't need to carry the ball. It was um, my, my job in most of the teams was to was rock speed. So speed, and you know, Brian McLaughlin was the first person that really taught me about playing open side and you know, discussed rock speed. Then you had, you know, Les Kiss, Joe Smith. You know, rock speed was, a, the game is, still ultimately ruck speed but yeah. um you know i remember that probably you know, five six years into my career you know, re- you really started to focus more on it uh, it was both sides of the ball so um you know me and rory i guess me and rory best at the stages of our careers um, when we did make some of the finals in the league and, and even europe that year in 2012 you know we were going out to cause teams still ruck ball yeah so we were the batting ram we were the choke tackle jackaling the country rucking the getting your yellow quinlan of Cheating and trying to get your leg around, and so you know that. And the game evolved. The game changed, where there wasn't just as much a lad allowed. But um, yeah, the, the dark arts of a ruck, I guess, is what I really enjoyed. Um, and it did mean that teams, you know, you know, there was. I mean, I kind of, I mean, the might have broken noses I had. That was just part and parcel of it. Your head was in the wrong place, and you kind of knew if you weren't bleeding somewhere in your face <laughs> that you weren't didn't have a good game. Um, so no, like I, and yes, the game evolved. Like, but Joe Smith, he brought my game on. I think you do have Nick Yards and games were like leading in the World Cup. It was probably the most powerful that I'd ever been. It was Alinas had been, and that I thought that didn't come out on my game. And McCarries. Uh, but no, I didn't score many tries in my career unless it was the back of them all. It was always, yeah. how do we generate quick for this team? And yeah. Let the other guys, the Tommy Bowes, because that rucks happened so quickly, he's been able to run in. and Yeah. That's why rugby's a great game. You know, even like Will Connors yeah. at the moment, like Will, for me, I've loved watching Will Connors because yeah. he's not your stereotypical back rower at the moment. Like he's a wee bit different than the rest. 
he was yeah. slight, he's small compared to a lot of them, you know, um, and it's great to see that that's still, there's still room for that in the, in the game. There's people of all shapes and sizes, so I've really enjoyed seeing him. So that's, that's what open side for me. Yes, of course, the game's changed. You've got to get your carries in, got to be explosive, but ultimately it's, it's tackle, it's breakdown, it's rock speed. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's, you know, talking about sort of historically how open sides would have operated and flankers generally, you know, I suppose now even at Ulster, that Dan McFarland expects a lot of every player, you know, in terms of carrying uh, wee offloads as well, you know, shifting the point of contact. So you see like Stephen Marty Murr taking the ball in, sort of deft hands, uh, popping it on to someone else and just shifting that point of contact. And do you know? And then there's sort of the, the guys who maybe fit the the mold for what, what flankers are a bit a bit more. You mentioned Will Connors, uh, Dan Levy as well. Do you know all, all good examples of, of guys who interpret the role in, in a different way? And um, but do you know as a player, obviously you you created a lot of uh, sort of chaos at the breakdown and going in and, and mixing it up with people. And I think that's it's really a cool face uh, that you're working at. Do you know, as a flanker and and uh, creates opportunities for other people. Do you ever wish you'd played out in the backs or anything like that? Will you get jealous of these guys like Tommy Boone taking the glory? In a different world, of course. Um, you know, my 12-week-old son there, I'm going, like, you know, whether he wants to play rugby or not, but I'm going, let's hope he's a back. So he's good. Don't wanna, <laughs> I don't want to have a nose like mine. Um, but no, I think in a dream world, of course. Like, I, you know, my skill set, I, you know, I played our, you know, our sevens was where I got my, but just before I started playing for Ulster, I was away with our sevens, and that was a great team. You had like Keith Earls, Darren Cave, Felix Jones, so cracking team, Paul Marshall, and that that made me properly realise. You know, taught me how to pass off my bad hand properly, taught me how to defend in open spaces properly because I you know you, I wouldn't have had a clue before that. You know, so yeah. um, you're talking about skill set. You know, the tip on passes that ha- every player one to fifteen, you have to be able to do that. But ultimately, you can't. You know comes back to the basics where you know, if you want to get that ball to the, the first receivers of forward and give a tip on well that can only happen without rucks fast as well you know the, the yeah. defences now are so good and if it's a slow ruck you can't be giving that tip on because there's just nowhere to go if it's quick it can happen you can put the pass out the back to the tens um, you know then they've got their kicking options the game's just changed the game's changed massively you know even in the last two years um, yeah. and it's great to see like you mentioned like Marty Moore and these forwards being able to, to pass you see you know, Rob Herring out wide you see um, Treadwell out in the wings but the game was changed up there's no way that would, you, know, you think back to when I first started there's not a chance in hell you'd be thinking <laughs> stick a second round no, yeah. you know it just wouldn't yeah. have happened um, yeah. so no it's great like, that's just the way the game is and, uh, yeah no it's great yeah. to see it's interesting how it's developed. I know, you know, you say even the past two years, but you know, since you sort of like 2009 or whatever it was that you made your roster, you know, how much the game has come um, uh, and progressed since then. But um, just on that note, like about your journey in the Ulster, like I suppose starting at the very beginning, you know, you've come full circle playing at Maloo as it be going back to coach uh, up until last season. Uh, and what was that sort of journey like? So you started off playing. What, what got your passion for rugby whenever you did? And, and uh, tell me a wee bit more about that journey through the last through school and then ultimate for Ulster. Yeah, so I, um, my dad would have played for Malone, uh, Grosvenor Malone, and then he was present Malone, and then he brought my older brother down when he was, I think, six or seven. So I, as a five-year-old, had to go down as well because there's no, there's nowhere for me to go. So I joined in um, with the older group, and just to be honest, rugby was just always a sport that took easy to me. You know, I was definitely toughened up by my big brother in the back garden playing over the years. Um, 
And yet I think Malone was kind of one of the first teams that played, did mini rugby in Northern Ireland. So very lucky that I was thrown in that early. Um, with a great team, a great minis team of guys who I'm still best friends with, even to this day, to be honest. Um, and then, so played all my mini rugby, went to Wallace High School. Um, most of the people on that mini rugby team went to Inst. And Wallace, we were cracking me team at Wallace and fantastic years of coaches and the teacher at Wallace, you know, made me into the player that I was. And, yeah. um, you know, I got picked for Ulster schools and, and I remember, I still remember that um, phone call about Irish schools, um, you know, gobsmacked that they, you know, I was captain of Irish schools and just couldn't believe it. And we had a great Irish schools team as well, Kevin McLaughlin, and Trimby, you know, Gareth Steenson, those sorts of players. Um so no, yeah, then the Schools Cup final, Wallace versus Inst, most of those players in the Inst team that beat us, we lost turn out something eight. But most of that Inst players I played with in mini rugby. So that was yeah. the, it was very funny, all of them against me. We lost still and you know, um you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> I don't not not, not worried about that. Um and then yeah, that then uh, once our schools finished Studied part time at Queens, um, but went to play for Malone. Um, got a development contract with Ulster, had to move, so I moved to Balamina, which was you know, a great team. It, it brought me on massively, to be honest. Um, at Balamina, with such a Balamina pack um, and all the rugby at the time, they were just so dominant. So I was playing number eight for them every week, and I could just pick up and run. And so I really enjoyed that time, and it did teach me about the sort of you know the difference between coming from schoolboy to Lauren League. It is you know it might not have the talent and the skill set, but it has the physicality. You know, a big yeah. Lauren League game. You're coming off an Lauren League game, and you're still feeling sore. Yeah. Um, and that was good. And then yeah, it took me. I was on a development contract for two years, and then I was offered a full contract. And halfway through the first year, of full contract still hadn't gone. Um, and it seemed to be that every time there was an injury in a back row. At Ulster at that stage, uh, they I would have thought, you know, okay, I might get my chance this weekend. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, they would have brought in a foreign player, you know, last minute, uh, unknown. Yeah. So, I, you know, it happened maybe two or three times. So, very, very disheartening, you know, when you yeah. feel like you're 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 doing everything they're asked of. You're um, hanging in there. And you see your other peers getting, you know, run of games. So, you know, at that stage, yeah. there was you know, Darren Cave, Paul Marshall, Andrew Drumball, Tommy Bow, all just, you know, their careers were flying. Um, yeah. And I was... Well, at that stage, you know, Lewis Stevenson, Garth Stevenson, who you know, played a bit, but then they moved. So I, I was, I mean, I nearly, I nearly left Exeter a couple of times. They were national one. There was a stage at one stage between London Irish. Um, but yeah, I held out, and then the Irish sevens happened, and we qualified. Our sevens was to qualify for the World Cup in Dubai. So we'd won all the tournaments. We played in Germany and Denmark, Britain, and campaign. And in the week we were supposed to fly to Dubai, I got my first call to play against Harlequins at Kingspan uh, yeah. Hill. and a uh, horrible winter night I think the game was ridiculously low scoring but yeah we won and that was that was my journey you know I, I was very yeah. close a couple of times I said to leaving and a couple of times um, I was, my father was air traffic controller and I was very close to trying to get that out passed my first exam for that and was going to go down that route and luckily I held off and yeah rugby as I said I never looked back and so, so glad that I did and stuck with it because you wouldn't change it for the world yeah, no, I'm, uh, you know, as a fan, I'm glad you stuck around as well. All, all that you've done for Ulster and uh, had such a good career there. And um, in terms of uh, the like coming into that senior squad, so you came in 2000, you got your debut rather, um, but came in slightly before that. What was the atmosphere in the squad like? Do you know, whenever you're a young guy coming into the squad, 
is intimidating or is there people who sort of welcome you and take you under their wing or what's the, is, it, is there too much competitiveness for any of that or what's um, the atmosphere? Do you know, I think that that's, something's changed massively in the last few years. It's like whenever, so whenever in the Ulster Academy back then, we were Jordanstown to Sports Institute Northern Ireland. We yeah. very rarely were integrated with the, with the seniors players. So when you were invited to train, it was a big, big deal. So yeah. you know, nerve. I remember seeing players come and being so nervous. You know, yeah. telling the telling the players, but just you couldn't control. The, there was no sports psychology then. You know, yeah. no, there was no mindfulness. There was no. You weren't really totally tough to prepare yeah. for those moments. So there was guys really telling the guys who just couldn't cope with the pressure. Um, for me, when I first came up, um, you're talking about how welcoming and things. So yes, there's there's definitely guys. You know. Brent Cunningham's of the world, which were, you know, a delight and just so welcoming and pleasant. And then you've got the other guys who are like, oh, these young pups are coming up. And it's funny you mentioned, um, you mentioned you were speaking to Andy Ward during the week. So one of my first memories of Andy Ward is being up and playing. It was a pre-season summer games, uh, roasting weather. And we were playing one of these touch rugby games just for fitness. And I got, I caught the ball. And as I caught the ball, and I remember it's touch rugby, Andy Ward, who is just, you know, Andy Ward at the prime was, career captain you know she was like he just boom plants me and I go flying on the floor I just look up and I'm like have I actually just been nailed by Andy Ward and I remember he just said he, he laughed you know he went welcome to welcome to the big boys or something you know, something like that something stupid that Andy would say but that was my one of my first memories is um, yeah, being welcomed to the to the team and then the other the other um the other thing that was really lucky for me was um one of the big enforcers at that time was Neil Best yeah. So, you know, he, I mean, he was unbelievable for us to rugby, um, complete enforcer and God, just so talented. Uh, but he, any new pups that came in to the squad, Neil let them know that, you know, you're up with Ulster now and this is, what, this is how it works, which is yeah. just right, perfect. You need a bit of that too. But because I was with, Neil started rugby at Malone. Yeah. Because I was with Malone, he always took a wee more affection than me. So <laughs> I, whenever I was there, I kind of got looked after a wee bit. But I remember like some of the back doors, like, you know, Ocean Hennessy and guys like that, he would have made their like tor- tortured them, <laughs> tortured them. Um, so I kind of feel like I, uh, I got away with that a wee bit. But look, I'm still, I'm sure there's still a wee bit of um, young pups coming in. And if you have, maybe if you've got a bit of a swagger, overconfidence, yeah. they might, you know, you'll, you'll get taken back a peg or two by the older lads. But I think the biggest thing is that. The academy now is so integrated to to the seniors. They're all in team meetings together. They all do the you know the lineouts the same. So there's not as much nerves when you get your chance to come up. You know, you, it, it, it doesn't phase these young guys. They're thrown in and, and they're yeah. fine. And that's and that's why that 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 part of just being in a round environment has definitely made a big. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear about you know how the, how the older guys respond to, to, to young guys coming into the squad because there must be that sense as well. This guy's going to take place in the, the starting team, do you know? But uh, that's I think that's a great thing to have competition. You need a bit of that as long as it's sort of kept. You know, the atmosphere is good. Uh, competition is great. It spurs everyone on. I think everyone. Yeah, and I believe in the older players. You, if you are, if you're in the rut and you're an older player and you're you're grinding out week to week, like sometimes you need that. Where it's yes. a, you know, coach to go look. This guy is producing and you, now it's up to you to do something and you know, the benefit and doubt will go into your favour because you've delivered for a coach but I think nowadays they're co- the best coaches aren't afraid to make the changes I think you know, you're looking back six, seven years and I think some coaches you, you do stick to your tried and tested I think that's yeah. moved away a bit because yeah. the game has changed because players don't last as long like I you know, I don't think for, for a player to last now into their mid-30s is going to be rare 
Um, yeah. So I yeah. think that that adds to the factor of, of how coaches will approach that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, do you know, you've had, well, all the players I've spoken to, they've had different setbacks and failures or perceived failures in their career, do you know, uh, things which um, on, the, on the face of it look like really bad things, but to actually set them up for sort of greater success later on down the road. Is there any examples from you can think of where there's been like setbacks or failures or things which have actually um, led you to greater success later on down the line? Um, yeah, so the um, 2011 World Cup, um, I was in standby. Now, I never thought I was going to get to go, but you know, I was on standby and there was a few injuries and I didn't get called up. And to be honest, that was like, you know, I did it. I was going, geez, like, how clo- I'm close. Like, I'm there, but I'm, I'm I, I, I probably that was the first time where I probably sat back and go, right, what I actually really want to listen, where is my potential, where, how much potential do I actually have in this? Yeah. Um, and that was probably a wake up call um, to, you know, start making changes and progress on. And then whenever, so in 2014, we just, we'd won the Six Nations and I was lucky to be involved in all the games. <clears throat> Sean O'Brien was injured, so I, it was the first time where we had a run of starts consistently in the biggest games of Ireland. And then at that stage, I knew I was playing well. And then it was leading into November where I suffered a mini stroke in the morning of a game. And, um, you know, obviously that was the most bizarre situation to happen. Happen yeah. in the morning where we're supposed to play South Africa. <clears throat> so you're talking about if you say what's your biggest setback? Well, that was. But um, that because I had that, um, I had a called something called PFO clue. I had a hole in my heart, so they closed the hole in my heart, and I was back playing in four months. So you know, I was out. I've been out with a knee surgery and shoulder surgery for a bunch longer than that. So to have a to have a mini stroke to be able to come back and play. You know, I, I played uh, two games before the end of that season. And then it was leading into the 2015 World Cup. So I just come off with, you know, I didn't get to go to the last World Cup. I just was lucky enough to be involved with Ireland in the Six Nations. And then we're leading into 2015. I only played two games. <clears throat> so for me, that summer, I um, booked a, a holiday, a training camp, basically holiday with my younger brother. He came with me. We trained two or three times a day in Portugal. Yes, we enjoyed ourselves in the sun, but it was the first time where in my off-season I'd just do nothing or didn't go off to Thailand or you know Las Vegas and you know drank beers every day. I was trying to be more disciplined. So I came back to the start of that campaign leading into the preseason for the World Cup, the fittest person in the squad. So we had our fitness testing on day one. And I was you know, significantly fitter than most. It was the fittest I've ever been. It was the leanest yeah. I've always been. I always struggled, struggled with, getting, with being lean. Um, but that was the leanest I'd been. And I got to go to the World Cup and I got to play in the quarterfinal. And so that, if you're talking about a setback, my setback was yes, the mini stroke. And yes, not getting 2011, but using those as motivation and going, right, well, this isn't going to happen forever for you. Um, and even if I didn't get picked, at least I would have known I have no regrets. I'd given it my best chance by sacrificing my off season, by being more disciplined, and by being highly motivated to, to give it my best shot. So yeah, um, yeah just... That, that, that to me is you're, you're thinking about um, most rewarding times is being get, getting that letter to say you're picked in that 30 that's going to represent Ireland because it was such yeah. a pinnacle of your career yeah. uh, and, and I'd come from such a long you know at that stage I'd retire so to be yeah. coming back to bounce back so quickly to get to the biggest stage was amazing yeah yeah it's inspiring to hear you know how, how you bounce back I remember you coming back actually and um, that, that the whole situation was bizarre and I think everyone was worried for you because it sounds like I, I know it was a serious thing but the comeback and within four months of you coming on and I thought 
how, how is he coming back now? And I'm sure you're thinking the same thing at the time. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I, I remember the the, the, the the game, Cardiff at home, and I only found out on the Tuesday that I was allowed to play. And I remember phoning Neil Doak, who was coach at the time, and said, look, I'm available for this weekend if you yeah. want me. Yeah. Thinking this is madness. And he goes, oh, no, no problems. I'll, you're, you're named on the bench then. I'm like, what? So the, before kickoff, um, I'll never forget it. It's just you know, being in that huddle. And just before kickoff, I went off into the, in the toilet cubicle. And I remember closing the door and just thinking, like, what am I doing? Like, this is, why am I putting myself through this? I, you know, yeah. see if you are not afraid to say that I was scared. I was you know, going, what if I make a tackle here and don't get up? You know, what if something happens? And, yeah. and, then, I, and then I went, right, catch yourself on. There's no way that all these doctors would let you do this if there was any risk. Um, yeah. But yeah, deep down in your head, you're going, oh my God, you know, could, could I you know, have those, could a stroke happen again? I mean, I lost my speech, my um, side of my face dropped and my strength of my arm dropped. You're going, you know, that's not normal and could this happen again? So for me to, um, I mean, yeah, just bizarre time in my life. But as I said, to have that, to have that special game to come back at Ravenhill and then to get back an Irish shirt at a World Cup in, you know, such a short period of time. Um, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I know, I know. It's 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 great you're able to come back and then play for you know for a good good long while after that. Um, but in terms of you mentioned sort of uh, being scared before that game, but I'm sure like for a professional player, you're playing from a huge crowds, uh, passionate supporters. Uh, you're playing for Ireland. You're under media scrutiny and all that. M- mental health must be a big thing, and I think it's something that's being addressed more in sport now. I think it, it maybe uh, sort of macho culture around rugby people have avoided talking about it for ages. In terms of like. Uh, mental health and and even uh, sports psychology and things like that. Um, do you know, well, number one, how, how did you cope with sort of mental health resilience to setbacks and things like that? Do you think more more could be done or do you think we're, we're on the right track now? I think it's definitely getting better. Um, you know, I've always been, with my career at Ulster, I always thought, you know, we've, Ulster have paid, brought in, you know, unbelievable coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, the best defence coaches, best forward coaches. Um, you know, we've had nutritionists in. But one thing we haven't done is had a full sports psychologist in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I remember saying this at the end of seasons, going, well, what, what, what do we need to do? And I said, well, we need to look at this. And I didn't. I, I don't know whether, what the situation is now. I know the academy gets resources to sports psychology. Um, but for me, I, um, I have a great friend called Hugh Campbell, who currently works for Armada, GAA. And he, throughout my career, was just a rock for me. You know, he... Um, did a bit with the academy, but then I've just kept in touch with him ever since. And a lot of it is, you know, what do you, you give me tools to cope with the pressure, to not waste energy uh, on, on those nerves. I used to be, you know, there's times in my career I remember vomiting before games in change rooms, and that was just wasting energy. It was being so hyped up, and that and my game evolved as I got older and more mature. And you kind of look back at what you've achieved to get confidence from it, to know that you don't need to be, you don't have to rely on that being just as emotionally charged. And I yeah. definitely am guilty when I was younger to be so emotionally charged. And you, you yeah. just, you know, and that would affect your thinking and the game happened so quickly and that would make mistakes. So he, he was a massive resource for me. Um, but being able to, uh, yeah, take yourself away from the pressure moments. So whenever you are getting media scrutiny, like it was happening with Jacob at North, like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous, you know, how can, and I know there's not much to talk about and everyone's going to have opinion, but you know, from Jacob to be championship player of the year, 2016, to be, 
yeah. people are going, what's he playing at? You're going, well, this is nonsense. You know, he, yeah. he turned into a bad player overnight and he, you can tell his mental resilience. I mean, he is just, he, well, look, he's obviously, unless you're, unless you're really close to Jacob, you're not going to know how he's coping. From my perspective, yeah. what I've seen, how he's handled himself, I think he's coping well. You know, yeah. he's going, he knows he's good. You know, he's been there, he's done it, and he's got to get better. You know, he's playing in a position he hasn't played. So um, it's just a shame that there is, you know, they're looking for things to talk about, and that's an easy one to jump on on wagon. And yeah. for me, like the, the way like mindfulness has gone, you know, the way guys are able to talk more, having bad days, like, and especially what's happened in this last year. I mean, it's yeah. unprecedented, and yeah. I know myself. I mean, there's like there's good days and bad days. You know, I um, I've been very guilty of not exercising anywhere near as much as what I should be, but the days that I force myself to get out and do something and get a sweat and whether it's whatever you do, you feel better. Those endorphins are released and um, just trying to be there for each other. And it's just, it's a bizarre situation because you you not, not being able to shake someone's hand, not being able to give someone a hug. It's not, that's not what human nature is about. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I do. I, um, gosh, I mean, it's going to take, like hopefully things are going to get a lot better quickly for everyone with, you know, the talk of vaccines and you know, we'll yeah, hopefully Christmas sure. Christmas is normal as possible. But without a yeah. doubt, like mental health, yes, it's come on leaps and bounds and there's a lot to tackle your feelings of rugby and your know, rugby's been great that they're really driving this and have been for a while, but you, know, you can never do enough. And when people are struggling, yeah, it's it's important, really important to to get behind and in Northern Ireland, I think I mean men, young men in Northern Ireland especially suicide rates and things like that, like a scary reading. So um, yeah, the, more, yeah. the more, more and more they can do, the better. Absolutely. I know it's always, I'm always quite surprised, you know, speaking to guys and sort of a, an area that I'm quite interested in, like the mental health side of being, uh, even like uh, resilience and stuff like that. And, um, speaking to the guys even now, like most of them say, look, if you, if you want a sports psychologist, you, I mean, there's probably one available to you, but I think some people wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to them to do to, to someone and, and say, have a chat about downturn in performance or something like that I'm going to sort this out and turn things around and you look at other sports like uh, football I know there's a lot more money in football but I think uh, most, most of those guys who get sort of fairly regular sort of um, sports psychology and stuff like that and rugby, rugby hopefully will do that way as well and this, I think this well, you see, I mean Dan McFarland's a massive, massive into his sports psychology so Dan has yeah. brought a lot of things and, and the ability to, to you know you make a mistake to let it go quickly um, yeah but you talk about how the game's changed. Like I remember, you know, Steve Ferris, who, you know, he started, uh, you know, his career obviously exploded so quickly. Um, and then unfortunately through injury, stop it. But Stevie, I mean, I remember talking to Stevie about sports psychology and he was just, you know, Stevie was sports psychology, you kidding me? Because he didn't need it. His psychology was, give me the ball and I'll smash you. You know, so it was all well and good for someone who was that talented. But yeah, guy, guys who maybe just aren't as, you know, as talented as that, who are going to make mistakes, are going to have moments of weakness. You know, yeah. how you, if you drop that ball, I mean, I remember playing, I think it was Newport Dragons, and I, at that stage I was in the backfield, and they kicked the ball in the air, and the ball, and the fans are just, just spitting on you to drop it, and I drop it, and I go, yeah. oh no, so what do you think they did? What do you think they did the rest of the game? Well, they're yeah. going to keep kicking me the ball. So yeah, it was the ability then. I don't think I dropped another ball after that, but you know, that's yeah. an example of you do not mistake. How do you move? It is a skill. It's a skill to go because your mind does plays tricks with you and, and um, yeah. the, power, the power of that's massive. So Dan McFarlane, I think, is, is currently Ulster's psychologist yeah. and, he, and he seems to be doing a good job. Yeah, between him and Dan Super, I think Dan Super is sort of an unofficial sort of uh, mentor to players and, and someone to chat to as well. So you know, we've got a great great coaching set up at Ulster, mm-hmm. but in terms of like guys who've coached you, is there any coaches that you'd point out there? 
Leicester, uh, guys that you respect the most, uh, guys who, I mean, you've had some great coaches, but uh, who, who stands out as being particularly good? Yeah, um, so for me, I mean, Brian McLaughlin was the first person who made me change position. I was number eight, he made me the seven. So I have just so much thanks for him for doing, for making me realise that. Um, you know, Neil Doak, attack-wise, just a, a guy that has great memories whenever Dokey was in charge. But, I mean, for Joe Smith, I think, is the person who... De- Declan Kidney was, was a great... Declan was a great motivator for me. Um, was he the most... Technically, coach, you know, I didn't. I don't think I learned a crazy amount technically from him. Um, but Joe Smith was the difference. Joe Smith was. I thought that I was a professional rugby player, and then when you're with Joe, you're right. Okay, actually, I'm not. Um, it's the next level. It's the amount of time that was required. Yeah. It was the detail he went into. It was the standards that was set, and it was relentless. And yeah. look, you look at the change with Andy Farrell, and you speak to some of the players who are in the squads currently, and they're all, you know. Time evolves, and would Joe? How long would you have Joe if he stayed? How much more success would he have had? I don't know. Had to evolve, but for me at that time of my career, Joe was exactly what I needed. He brought me yeah. to the next level, demanded so much more for me and the team around him. I know it's the same words that everyone used, but the tension to detail was just yeah. bonkers. And no, if you once you turn up into Carton House camp, you were expected to be switched on, you know, yeah. constantly, and yeah. no opposition players. And it wasn't matter who you were playing, whether it was England or Georgia. You needed to know who your opposition were, what their strengths, what their weaknesses. So different, it's a different, different level from any other yeah. coach that I was involved with. Um, but I've been lucky to have like Les Kiss was a great coach too. You know, really enjoyed my time with Les. So and I'm sure I've forgotten. You know, we've had so many the change yeah. over those few years. I'm sure I've forgotten some of them. Um, but I've all I've tried to learn everyone, and, and there's never been a coach where I enjoyed. You know, whether you get bad news or good news, I've enjoyed their company and memories with, with all of them in different and different ways. Yeah, and I suppose um, you became a leader uh, from quite an early stage in your Ulster career, like captain team. And is that something which came naturally to you? Are you someone who just enjoys taking charge of a situation, or is that some, uh, a captain um, leading guys in that way? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I learned an awful lot from Rory Best. So Rory, like, the only time I ever got to go captain Ulster was when Rory wasn't there. So Rory, you know, never... You know, I, I, Rory was always my captain, usually in an Irish shirt as well. So I definitely would have learned a lot from him. I definitely grew into it. Get older, you just have you know, more ease and probably send their things. And yeah, early on in my career, as I mentioned, like it was all about emotion. And, and I think there's moments where a good motivator will use that well. Like I remember certain certain games, like Paul O'Connell, for example, talking about his fan before kickoff, his huge test matches and him mentioning about his motivations of why he played so his family his kids and that I remember like seeing guys with tears in their eyes you know yeah. that, that lifts you you know it obviously makes you feel that six inches taller but then you can't you can't live off that every week so I think that was my big learning to go on you got to pick your moments of when really you use those emotional energy um, yes and yeah, as a cliche, it is you lead. You try just do your job. You lead from the professional game requires everyone to just do their job at a level consistently. Um, so that's any time I played, whether it was captain or not. That's what you just you're required to just. You, know, you can go from a, the best players in the world would always be playing at 85, 90, 95%. Yeah. It's, it's those, that's the, that's the Brian Driscoll's. That's the, um, Richie McCall's. You never see them having a seven out of 10. They always have, and that's yeah. the difference. And that I think is your, as your captain, your leader, you kind of always have to try to have them just doing consistently. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of uh, sort of Ireland, uh, Ireland coaches. You're, you're part of a, like, a couple of great Ireland teams as well. Do you know it, the back row that you, you formed during one of Ireland's most successful sort of periods? 
what was it like playing with those guys? Tell me a wee bit more about playing for Ireland. How much of a step up was it from provincial rugby uh, playing with these sort of Google superstars like Brian Driscoll, Connell? Yeah, well, I mean, again, similar thing, stepping into that camp. Um, you mentioned how different it was with Joe Smith, the attention to detail and things. But tell me a wee bit more about playing for Ireland. Uh, sort of highlights of your international career. Uh, so highlights for me, like I, you know, tours. Like I look back, one of the things we talk about when you where where have you been able to see or travel to, and the fact like I've been able to yeah. go to you know, New Zealand, Australia, America a couple of times, um, Argentina twice. Like I go, this is amazing. And um, you know, yeah, true. You, what do you miss the most about rugby? Well, what do you? One of the couple of things you miss about rugby? Well, I miss getting sports massage every day. That's the first <laughs> thing. And I, and I miss traveling business class. To bloody Argentina, you know, so that, you know that's never going to happen again. Um, so yeah, like you, you think of those those tours, the brilliant Berlin times, you know, brilliant moments. Um, got to travel the world and do a sport you love for, yeah. for a job. You, know, you got paid for it to go to Argentina and play rugby. It's insane. So that was yeah. amazing. Um, without a doubt, the Six Nations 2004 in a green shirt it was it was the pinnacle. And then although the losing a quarter final World Cup, of course, difficult. But my my mindset was different than probably the rest of the team then. I was going, how am I here playing quarterfinal? You know, I because yeah. because of the setbacks we discussed, I probably you know, it was gotten, but hindsight I go, you gotta take the positives that you know, that I played the quarterfinal in a green shirt. It was incredible. Yeah. And then, and then you talk about the players you get to play with. So you know, some of the best players in the world, your Roy Best, your Paul Collins, your Brian Driscoll's, your Rob Carney's, your Gordon Darcy, your, the golden age, you know, yeah. also, like golden age, um Rona Gar. I mean, in fact I even got Nagar. Yeah, Nicholas. You know, I I feel so lucky. I I got you know such a longevity to my career because um, a lot of people you wouldn't have got that. And I was in those squads and was able to train these guys. And so you know, like those those are the names where you go. I'm so lucky being able to be up close, see, train with them in the gym. Uh, got to meet them as people. Um, so yeah, like to get getting a chance to play for Ireland so many times, amazing. I know. Well, it, it's something I suppose. You know, you've got kids now and like. Years from now, you'll be able to show them pictures of you playing with unbelievable players, and not just playing with them, but being a really important part of the team as well. And you know, I uh, I think that's class. Um, and always enjoy speaking to guys like yourself, you know, because I would I would love to. Do it. <laughs> I think everyone listening would have loved to have had sort of that a period of years, that chapter in these where they're in the province and they're and playing at the very highest level. And um, the last thing I want to to ask you about is sort of in terms of uh, Ulster now. What are your predictions for them in the next couple of years? Do you think we'll get that level of, we talked a wee bit about it at the start, but do you think Ulster will get to that level at Leinster at playing the very highest level in Europe and winning trophies? What are your predictions for the next couple of seasons for Ulster? I think, to be honest, the the global situation is obviously going to be hard to ignore. So if, you know, I, I live very close to, to uh, Ravenhill, to see the lights on, but to have no fans in there, you know, it, it, there's no like how do higher sports in general going to survive this? So truthfully, it's hard for me to answer that. I, I think we've done incredibly well with the resources we have. You know, we don't have the school system that Leinster has. Um, I've been really, really excited to see the homegrown Ulster players that I mentioned, and you know, and like John Cooney has been. Like how John Cooney is not in our squad is just bonkers. But you know, yeah. picking picking Ulster have to pick the right people to come to us. And John yeah. Cooney is someone who has just been incredible. You name the list of other players. Um, you know, I, I think they're doing a really good job. We're just never buying in. Yeah. But long term, do do I think that Ulster going to win European? I I think it's going to be well. 
you know, never say never, of course not, but I think it's going to be a while. You think of big yeah. heavy hitters in French rugby and English, you know, sorry, but you know, not, maybe not English, not French, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you compete? Um, a league? I think there's a league to be won, and I think that the, with the with the pandemic, as I just mentioned, I think that the, the management, Brent Cunningham, everyone who's run things there, it seems to be you know, a really happy camp. They're playing well. You, you think of the Irish players, Rob Herring, Ian Henderson. Um, you know, there's a spine of our Ulster players are a spine. Stuart McCluskey has been restricted from us. There's a spine of Irish players. You know, when, when they come back in, they will answer. I do think that there's a league to be won. Um, Leinster will be the team to beat. I think that if you're looking at it now, how, how, how have we um, come back from the pandemic and start to play rugby with no fans? Ulster are coping. Um, when yeah. fans come, we just hope that that drives Ulster forward and doesn't take, doesn't give the other teams the advantage again. I don't think it will. I think it'll only get better. Um, you know, when you mentioned like, like throw Jacob Stockdale back in that back line, you know, um, they're in a really good place. So I would be, I, I am personally, one of the, one of the things that really keep me optimistic at the moment is how well Ulster are going to keep going. Um, yeah. I think Europe quarterfinals, yes, getting out of groups. I think next stage is going to be difficult. I think a league is a more achievable. Um, still, obviously, going to be really tough with South African teams coming in, etc. Um, but yeah, it could be. You know, it's time. It can only. It'll happen eventually. It's just when. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, look, I think I think rugby is one of those things. It's so important for like even. Speaking personally, I know for many people, due socially, psychologically, it's 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 great for the for the province. And um, over lockdown, being able to watch rugby, have it back, and feel a sense of normality is great. And to have a team, albeit who might not compete, I agree with you. I think it'll be a while until like maybe these guys. I think we've got a bit of a golden generation come through, but uh, it could take a while until those guys. Established with the likes of Leinster, but and hopefully fans, hopefully Ulster fans, you know, if they, if everyone, you know, we've got such loyal fan base, and I think if the yeah. fans realise, well, actually, you know what, I, I want to take the enjoyment of seeing young Ulster people playing and going, yeah. right, we, we might get hiding, you know, there might be games where we take a hiding, we might not be there yet, but if we're all, if you know that at least those young kids are our next door neighbours or people on the road and people we can relate to, you know, I, I personally feel that that's something that is important that as within in an Ulster is unique. So that's yeah. keep it to keep it Ulster players as much as we can. Yes, let's use all the resources and picking our pick and being really specific with your Marcelo could see is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just think that's the key that hopefully that the Ulster real enjoyment I'm seeing our pubs, you know, named on the team. Absolutely, and and this whole idea of fighting for every inch and and leaving it all out in the pitch. I know those are cliches, but it's it's something which fans respect and love to watch. Like even when we got uh, beaten by Leinster and that uh, was a couple of years ago down in Dublin, I think everyone went away proud, you know, of what of what the guys had done and thinking, yeah, I was, I was class, what a spectacle! Like watching guys who we don't have the same resources in Ulster. Like I, I was going to do an article about this. Like Leinster have fifty percent of the playing population in Ireland. The rest is divided between the other three provinces. Ulster, yeah. uh, you know, the resources are just not there, as you mentioned, schools and the funding that that we get as well. So, but like, I think everyone could be proud. Particularly, the start of this season has been fantastic, and um, yeah, like, great to hear your optimism. And I think fans are optimistic as well. And uh, yeah, and it's great to have ambassadors like yourself for for, for Ulster. And, Guys who take the time to, to to speak to the likes of me, who's sort of set up this fan site. Thank you for for sort of what you've done for Ulster and Ireland, and really appreciate it. And um, for for taking the time to speak to me as well, hugely appreciate it. And no, it'll be semi my pleasure. Um, as I said, it's Ulster. We always have my heart, and, and hopefully, if uh, yeah, hopefully I get to 
get back in the stadium soon and yeah, get to be a part of that fan journey now. So yeah, <laughs> it's great, yeah. great to be great to be on. Thanks for having me on. All right, cheers, Chris. Okay, so take care, mate. Cheers. Bye. 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 What an absolute legend. One of the nicest guys I've spoken to and an Ulster and Ireland legend. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Do me a favour, tell people about the podcast, share it with your friends or anyone who might be interested. The next episode is with another Ulster legend, Tom Court. I'm looking forward to getting that episode up because it was a great chat with him as well. Thanks again to Chris Henry. My only regret is not asking him where his nickname Chad came from. If you happen to know, let me know as I'm now really curious. Cheers. Thanks again for listening.